Now, Father, we are extremely thankful that you've given to us this word from the book of Hebrews, of the letter of Hebrews, a treatise to the Hebrews. We thank you that, that we find in it words that encourage us and warn us, inspire us and instruct us. We pray now as we look to these final few chapters in the book that you would give our hearts and a special submissiveness to you. Our minds would be attuned to what your spirit wants to teach us. Across so many thousands of years of others who have been faithful to the calling you gave to each one of them. That, Father, as our time is now for being faithful, that you would give us the wisdom and the courage and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the disciplines necessary to build up the life in us that your spirit wants to build up. So we thank you for these words, and uh, we anticipate what you're going to teach us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, we are lingering still in the words that appeared at the end of chapter 10. And let me read those words for you in 10... Chapter 10, verses 16 and following, pardon me, verses 38 and following, he says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. That's actually in chapter 10, verse 36 and following. So we are those of faith. We do not shrink back. And that's what chapter 11 was all about, to remind us that we are not alone in this. There have been many, many others down through the corridor of history, and he traces them across the Old Testament history who have been faithful to the calling that God gave to them. Many of them had very little understanding of everything that God was doing because they didn't have a written word and they didn't have a church and they didn't have pastors, they didn't have priests, they had no uh, regimented description of relationship with God through sacrifices but what they had was God speaking to them and them responding with what he had asked them to do. And so Noah's a good example of that, where he simply believed God, that God said to him, I want you to build this ark because I'm going to judge the world and I will preserve out of it just enough of the seed that I originally created for it to propagate itself once more and cover the face of the earth. And, Abraham, and Noah believed God. And so chapter 11 is a series of people like that. And as he gets towards the middle of that chapter, to the end of the chapter, because there are so many of them, he simply begins to categorize them in the kinds of people, some of whom lived greatness, some of them with wealth, some of them with power, some of them with royalty. Others, however, and he makes that clear, others live differently. They suffered. They were persecuted. They, they died for their faith. But all of these went on 
without a clear picture, or we might say as clear a picture as we possess today about what God is doing. Because we have a Genesis to Revelation preserved text of the words of God to us down through so many centuries by so many different people, we have a greater understanding of what God has done, is doing, and will do. Now, ours is obviously still incomplete as well, but at least we know the end of the story, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. We know where it's all moving towards. But these in chapter 11, having many times this incomplete revelation, not yet having the time, not yet having come for the next thing to bring on the sequencing of God's promise dancing down the cord of history, they believed God. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. Coming off of chapter 10, verses 36 and following, that look, we are called to believe God. And he is not pleased with those who shrink back. Why? Because my righteous one will live by faith. And so in chapter 12, we come to sort of a summation statement off of all of the thoughts from, I think, at least 1036 all the way through the ending verses of chapter 11. And so he says, therefore, because of all that we've seen about this call to believe God, persisting in faith, living righteously in spite of your context, understanding the call that God puts upon you to believe Him and to act as He is calling you to act, your journey being specific to yourself. He says, therefore, with all of these clouds of witnesses that have gone on before us, because we are surrounded by them, let us ourselves take action. Now, we're surrounded by them, not in, not in the sense that they are watching us from eternity, but we're surrounded by their witness where it's collected here in the, in the pages of the Bible to us. And it comes to us on a regular basis as we feed our minds with the word of God, as we, as we feed our minds with uh, God's interactions with, with Abel and with Enoch and with Noah and with Abraham and with David and with the prophets as we feed our minds with all of these people who in their own time and in their own way with their specific understanding and the context in which he called them to be faithful speak to us. They speak to us individually. That's what chapter 11 was all about. Each of them having a different context, but they believed God. But they also speak to us corporately as a crowd of people who have gone on into eternity and call us to persist in faithfulness, to believe God. And so therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, witnesses to God's faithfulness, witnesses to believing God, witnesses to persisting in His calling, witness to righteousness as opposed to evil and disobedience, He says specifically to us several things. Number one, let us throw off everything that hinders. And the idea there is of neutral things. Life is made up of, a, of just a, a number of neutral things. And by neutral, nobody can say, well, that's bad, that's good. You shouldn't be doing that. But they're just neutral things. And time and eternity 
will eventually show that some of them were just not worth giving your life to. Persisting in things that allow the life to be crowded with noise and, and competitions and, and, and persistence in self or thinking about self and not thinking about other people. Uh, time consumed with accumulating the things of time of seeking out things that don't have no eternal redemption at all. He says, just be careful. Let these cloud of witnesses show you persistence. Let, let them show you this focus that believing God means that we live for eternity even while we live in time. Because we understand that time is defined by eternity. In fact, we understand that though we think that the earth and its history is long and it's and it's and and it's intriguing and it's been it's been compelling and all the things that men and women have discovered and or created it is simply a small drop in the great sea of eternity because god has something with time he wants to do that our time has been corrupted and therefore does not allow those things to happen. God intends us to live in righteousness. He doesn't intend us to live in the damage of willfulness that was introduced by Adam and Eve. He doesn't want his children, those created after his own image and his own likeness, to be so distorted and so marred that they in fact more and more look like a different father, the father who wants to destroy them, the one who wants to presume that he has a, a right to be in God's position, Satan. That God did not create us for the damage we live in today. The damage to the planet. The damage to the person. The damage to, to the marriage. The damage to, the, to the, the family. To the families. To the church even because of evil. And sin that pops up because of the flesh. God, that wasn't God's first intention. And it will not be his last intention. As he, as he orchestrates his promise down the corridor of history, there is coming a day when a new earth, a new heaven, and a new Jerusalem will consume all of the reality of the day. And sin and death and Satan and those who participate in those things who have rejected the message of rescue and salvation in Jesus Christ, they will go with them. But we, we are ones who understand what the end of the story is all about. And so therefore he calls us because of these people who themselves dominated their lives by this calling, who themselves understood the importance of it, who un themselves, many who, of whom dedicate the, the whole of, the, the, of their thinking and their actions and their decisions to its promise and its hope he calls us to take a look at life and take the neutral things, the irrelevant things, the things that are, that are just many times nonsense, but they consume life in such a way that they, they skew your thinking away from the things of eternity. And they begin to cause you to walk in ways that don't redeem the moments that God is giving to you. So these things, what are they? Well, they're all connected to time and opportunity. And sometimes we just allow the world to tell us that, well, you know, it's important that we go out and do these things of leisure or, or exercise or, 
or quietness that really have nothing to do with eternal reflection. And our view of life becomes clouded. And when it becomes clouded, we begin to wonder, what are we doing? Is it true? Is God really trustable? What is this all about? Even for believers, the doubt begins to permeate because we have not persisted in the most important things. Or if we have allowed the nagging irrelevancies to crowd in on the things of eternity that God wants to work even in our time. So he says, this great cloud of witnesses instructs us, encourages us, champions to us that we need to take a close look at life and to, and to allow these things that are irrelevant, the things that hinder what God wants to just begin to mark them out. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to give that much time to watching things. No, I'm not going to be, give that much time to reading irrelevant things that have nothing to do with this. And so he says, let us throw off everything that hinders. But there's a second thing that, that causes difficulty, and that those are the things that are sinful. And, and so he says, second, and the sin that so easily entangles. It's like a rope falling down off of the hips to the legs, and they begin, to, they, they, they begin to trip one over the other. Uh, sin doesn't just tender. It, it seeks to destroy, to dominate. The flesh wants to dominate. Now, it's, it's merely in the members of the body, Romans chapter 6, in those of us who belong to Jesus, but it still wants to dominate. It can't because the new man has been set up inside of us, and the Holy Spirit resides in that man. That's why we are the temple of the living God. But he still wants to, to dominate and destroy. And so we take a good deep look at our life and we say, there's some irrelevancies. There's some things that just aren't important. There's some wasted time, wasted focus, wasted desires, wasted consumptions that may or may not be sin. Often we assume they're not. But they hinder the race that God has each called each of us to. But there are also sins, things that crop up, that call our attention, that the Bible says, look, because we know the end of the story, because we know who we are, because we know who is inside of us, the Holy Spirit, because we have a perfect, inspired word to access on a regular basis, because we have this other great cloud of witnesses, let us... Throw off these sins that want to entangle us and cause us to live life in a dynamic that God didn't intend, to which he wants to give victory, not failure. And so, therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us, let us throw off everything that hinders and let us get rid of the sins and the sin that so easily entangles Instead, third, let us run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. The Christian life is not, for most people, a sprint. It's not a short jog. It's not a walk out here with a little bit of meandering and then it's over. It's a marathon for most of us. 
the earlier we become followers of Jesus Christ and the longer we live on this planet, the more it, is, it, more it demands of us that we persist. That we persist in what? Well, we persist in spending time in God's Word. That we persist in understanding that we're not alone in this. Others have gone before us. We persist in believing God. We persist in understanding that the hope is not in a, in a meaningless hope, that the hope is in the promise of God and in the Word of God, the position of who He is. His promise and His oath make it duly powerful that the hope that we possess is a resilient one. So we persist in allowing that to permeate our minds and our thoughts. That's why some of the things that entangle us just confuse us. Because when we allow ourselves to be open up to too much of what the world thinks is right, the order that it thinks history has, the importance of sociological life from its point of view, we can become confused or at least unobservant to the fact that we have not pushed back hard enough on ideas and thoughts and actions that in fact are resistant to the things that God wants to plan in our life. And so he says, run instead with perseverance because it will take perseverance. We don't simply come to faith, ignore all of the disciplines of relationship to God that he's made to us and come out the other end in eternity. That's why so often in this book of Hebrews, there is the if, the if, the if, the if, that we're expected to die in the same confession that we began in. And between the, the time of making that, compassion, that confession and the time of death, there is an, there is an increase of maturity and understanding and faith and, and, and obedience that there are demonstrative things of righteousness that begin to demonstrate themselves in the life decisions that we make and the, and, and the relationships that we live. And so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. That race that is marked out for us. There is in this, I think, the idea that each one of us has a particular race, and it's different from somebody else's race. God understands where you came from, how you're going to live, and where you're going. He understands what you were born into. He understands the things that, that you inherited that were, were both uh, potentials to, to greatness in terms of humanity and potentials to failure in terms of humanity. The things that we got from our mother and father, the things that will compel us on. These are things that God understands. He made us in his image and his likeness. Your very being was woven together in the womb of your mother. He understands exactly every hair on your head. He knows how many there are. He knows what tomorrow is and he knows what the end is. And he has a, a course that he's designed for each one of us. Just like Enoch had one, just like Abel had one, just like Noah had one, just like Abraham, and they were all different. The central focus of it was God, his promise, and believing God. But each one of them had something particular that they were going to live. And so each of us have it. 
And so we are called, because of this great cloud of witnesses, to run with perseverance that race. You say, well, I, I don't really don't know that race. Well, that race you understand is to be faithful. That race you do understand rises from the root, the foundation of believing God, of spending time in this book, which nourishes our belief in God, grows our understanding of God, matures our image of Jesus Christ, allows the Holy Spirit to use those thoughts to constantly overwhelm some of the rebellions of the heart and give birth to willful actions that breed the image of Jesus Christ that God wants the Spirit to build in us. And so we persevere in the things that we know will allow that race to demonstrate itself day by day by day. Sure, we don't know what it looks like a year from now, but we know what it is today. We know what it is in terms of obedience, righteousness, and hearing the Spirit of God speak to us, the spending of the assets of his image and his, and his uh, investments, the things that belong to him, in our hands. And saying to us, allow me to spend what's in your hands to my glory and to my good. Because that's what you were created for. We are his workmanship, not somebody else's. Because of Jesus Christ, we are God's workmanship. In fact, we are God's second workmanship, dual workmanship. The first being in Adam and Eve, now the second in the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in the image of God, in his righteousness, in his goodness that he wants to build in us. And so we know it comes from that. And every day as we go out with that image being reflected and those assets being spent, the way the Spirit of God gives us direction to spend them, stewardship, um, we walk the life that he has for us, and it'll, it'll be different for each of us. It doesn't matter where it is a year from now. We have ideas where it might be. We have callings that direct us in that, in, in, in venues that will take us certain places. But ultimately, we're going to believe God for today and let him take care of tomorrow because we are going to run with perseverance. And you can only persevere today. You can't persevere today for tomorrow. So running with perseverance, that race that is marked out for each one of us. Fixing our eyes on the one thing that just doesn't change. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You look down at, at the things that are hindering, <laughs> these, all, these nagging irrelevancies, and you look down at the, the tripping that comes from the sin, you look around you at other people who are questioning, wondering, combating against ideas that belong to God, ridiculing in some case. Um, and you look around and you wonder, well, what, what's God doing? You look down, you look around, you're going to struggle. You got to look up and beyond. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. But why? Well, he says, I think, for at least three ways. Number one, because Jesus is the one who gives us entry into God's presence. Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He gave us that entrance. He paid every price that was necessary 
to redeem you from the wrath that you and I deserved because of our birth into sin and our confirmation of that sin by living in that sin. Jesus opened up that path that we might have reconciliation to God and in reconciliation have relationship. Come boldly, you remember he said in chapter 4. Come boldly into the presence of God. So we look to Jesus, the founder and the, the perfecter of our faith, because he's the one who gives us entry into his, God's presence. Second, because Jesus is the one who perfected our salvation. He took it to its ultimate conclusion. He showed us what faith ultimately should look like. He who suffered these things much more than we would understand, he suffered temptation beyond what we, would have, we will ever suffer, and yet was victorious. And so his path of life and death and resurrection not only opens up the presence of God, but it also shows us what it means to be brought to the conclusion of full righteousness. It is that image to which we are headed. Yeah, we're not there yet, but God wants to grow it. We're not perfect, but God wants to grow it. And then that day when all of the unrighteousness will fall aside and we will be capable of only one thing, living in righteousness, because sin and flesh and death will have been dealt with. So we look to Jesus because he's the one who gives us entry into God's presence. We look to Jesus because he is the one who perfected our salvation. We look to Jesus because of the life and the endurance we see in him. And so he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, in Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped after, but emptied himself, knowing he was the Son of God. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 10. So we look to Jesus because he opens the pathway into God. We look to Jesus because he shows us what that perfect righteousness looks like. We look to Jesus because he showed us what it means to persevere in spite of difficulty, in spite of death to endure. And so let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer, the founder of our faith. He is the perfecter of faith. And for the joy that was set out before him, he endured the cross. The joy was not in the cross. The joy was not even in, in living the life, the human life, the God-man life he had called. The joy was after the fact that he had done the will of the Father and had brought back some of the, of, the, of the children of Adam and Eve into relationship with God. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God.
So we look to Jesus because he gives us everything we need to understand about persevering for our own faith. We have all this great cloud of witnesses, yes. They're like us. And so they inspire us to believe in spite of their context because each of them shows us something distinct in context. So distinct and so multiply different that it can now speak to every context. That if, it, that if it's powerful in those contexts, it is exhaustively powerful in any context. But ultimately, the true inspiration is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we look to Him, Him who endured the cross, despising its shame. Him who is now seated at the right hand of the, of the throne of God. Who, him who instructs us that the day will come to an end. The struggle will be over. And the finality with which he has set at the right hand of the Father will also be ours. So what does this say to you today? Well, let me give you one possible application or question. What is it that at times has to be endured in your life? What are those things that we simply say, I'm not going to let irrelevancies get in my way. I know I have to live life and I know I have to work, but I am going to allow my life to be disciplined by the Holy Spirit in relationship to God in such a way that I stay as finely tuned to those things which are most relevant to eternity as is possible. And I'm going to keep an observant watch on my life, my, my mind, my heart, my will. And I'm going to align my heart with the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God to say yes to those things He wants to form me in me and no to those sins which entangle me. And I'm going to think about those people who have gone on before me. We have many more now as we have a collection of 2,000 years of those who belonged, belong in the church, are in the church, but have gone on before us. Witnesses of what it means to live, persevere, endure. May God grant that you live your life aware eyes open to eternity so that time takes on for you the dimension that God wants. For us, it's a time of living in faith of the things that are to come because of the things that have been and the things that he is doing in us for now. That his image would be greatly shine through each one of us. And his assets would be stewarded in our hands in the way that he wants them to be. So now, Father, we say thank you to you for these words that have been preserved for us. And we pray our hearts would be inspired by these witnesses and others that are not named, but we know them by name, some of them, from even our own generation. And that we too would persevere. That we would endure if necessary. And, and of course it is 
necessary at one level that we will all endure. Temptations and difficulties and just the, the, the come and go of life. But whatever you call us to endure, Father, help our eyes to be fixed on Jesus. And that all he means, that he has given us access to you, that he has demonstrated to us what it means to be righteous, to live righteously. And that, Father, we will see that he has, with finality, sat down in, in completion of those things that we are, we ourselves, to inherit someday. And so we thank you for this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.